yes, Payson, it's like Jason with a P. All right, man. Dad always said. I always make sure. I've had I've had harder names, man. So I'm going to give you the, the old intro, introduction, and then we'll just get into it, because I know you're, you're pretty familiar with the format of the show right by now, right? Sure. I, I have not listened to too many podcasts in the last year, because my job uh, switched. I used to have a job where I could sit down and listen to music and listen to podcasts, and recently my job has just been, like, on my feet doing stuff all the time. So I was I haven't listened in a while, but I was listening back to a bunch of episodes to catch up like the past few days just to get in the zone. Awesome. Wow. Awesome. Man. So, so, yeah, so you know where we're going, you know, For sure. the, the usual questions, man, and all that sort of thing. All right, man. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is Big Will, a.k.a. Uncle Buck, and I'm here with none other than Trevor Payson, a.k.a. Tyrant Perverser of the band's mm-hmm. Pink Mask, Scuzz, and Emetic. Did I get all that right, sir? Yes. There's a two or so more bands, but they don't. We could talk about them a little bit when we're going through the history of stuff, but uh, they're just like little blips on the map, you know? Okay. Well, we, we want to get everything uh, for the record. Um, not for that sure. not that we're narcs, all right. Um, uh, yeah, Leo from Immortal Suffering called me out there. He said he asked if I was a cop, but um, uh, just just to 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 ruin my image as a, as a narc even worse, I'm gonna go for the, the usual question, buddy. Are you from a yep. particularly musical family, or was there anyone in your upbringing that steered you towards uh, music or heavy metal in general? So, my parents um, they don't play music. But my parents are into punk and hardcore. Um, so my dad uh, was a skinhead. My mom was a punk rocker. Mm-hmm. So growing up, um, that's everything. I it was it was interesting. Like I was kind of just like from the time I was born, they were bringing me to. Well, not when I was like a baby, but you know, when I couldn't get like irreversible ear damage, they were bringing me to shows and stuff. And, um, you know, they uh, showed me a lot of great punk and hardcore bands. Um, so they kind of gave me, uh, you know, all the like beginner stuff like Discharge and Broken Bones and Bad Brains and Black Flat, like all those bands. And um, they showed me all that. But they my dad hates metal and my <laughs> mom is kind of 50 50 on it. So when it comes to like uh, extreme music, I kind of found it on my own um but i did have a few people that i met that kind of showed me a few bands here and there so i would say like by the time i was in seventh grade is when i like found bands like terrorizer and napalm death and like anal kind um like some crust bands nausea and all that um and around that same time, my dad started bringing me to uh, ABC No Rio every Saturday. And um, I met a bunch of people through there. So uh, when I met those kids, they showed me like, you know, like more like uh, like black metal and death metal stuff. So that's kind of when it really started for me. And I also should know I had a friend that was a friend of mine or a friend of my family is Diego, who showed me bands like Gizm and stuff like that in like eighth grade. So those were kind of what got me into music. And then after that, kind of just, you know, looked into stuff on my own, you know, just, I, I wanted to constantly find more and more bands, you know, more extreme stuff. So that's kind of how it all started. Okay. Um, a lot there. Interesting. Now, 
Right off the bat, something just for the listeners who might not realize, um, you said your dad was a skinhead. Yes, my dad was a skinhead, and he uh, was he was one of the founders of a group called Rash. And Rash was a anti-racist skinhead crew huh. that kind of started a little bit as a response to Sharp. I don't know if you're familiar with Sharp. Skinheads Against Racial Prejudice. Yes. So they started as a response against Sharp because Sharp kind of lost its steam and stopped being a anti-racist group. And it kind of just became like a boys club of skinheads getting drunk and just beating up like punk kids and stuff. It had no political alignment at a certain point. And at the time when my dad was growing up, uh, being into hardcore and punk in New Jersey and New York, uh, there was a huge, huge resurgence, uh, or not even just at the beginning, I guess, of uh, a lot of Nazi skinheads started coming to the shows and uh, starting trouble. And they would like come to shows and like, you know, do terrible shit. And uh, they started rash basically as a like, hey, like Sharp doesn't fucking do anything. We need to get these fuckers out of our scene. So that was kind of his uh background as a skinhead is they started rash and they would basically just uh you know beat up nazis and stuff like that <laughs> so that was kind of his background this is very interesting to me now because some of the listeners don't know especially because we deal a lot more with the metal side of things people may not realize there are skinheads who are not part of like nazi you know neo-nazi mm-hmm. culture in the first place that's something that's a, a whole discussion uh, to itself and shout out to my friend Mel I have a friend Mel who's really big into the oi skinhead culture and the music scene associated with it that we wanted to get on the podcast before the pandemic and like a lot mm-hmm. of bookings it just kind of you know now we're you know we got to get him back eventually um but because I did want to delve into that side of things and give a little more context and history to skinhead subculture so I'm, that's really interesting man um yeah. d- does now you said your dad would bring you to ABC no Rio every week. Oh, yeah. Every weekend, starting in 2000, maybe late 2007, early 2008. And he just started bringing me to matinees. And I saw so many awesome bands, so many just like, you know, it was really where like I met kids who would introduce me to other subgenres. But, you know, to, to paint the picture at the time, I'm from New Jersey originally. I live in Portland now. And uh, in New Jersey before, because I met, we'll get into this later, but uh, I met a lot of my bandmates in Montclair, New Jersey. But growing up, I did not grow up in Montclair. I grew up in uh, Hackensack, New Jersey for a little bit, Rochelle Park, New Jersey, uh, and Maywood, New Jersey. I was one of the only kids in any of those towns before I moved to Montclair who liked anything punk or metal or even horror movies i could not find anybody who liked the same stuff as me very isolating so i spent so much time listening to music and watching horror movies and just going just into the depths of that so uh it was really cool for the first time going to abc especially i met kids where i'm like oh my god like i finally have friends who like the same stuff as me this is crazy i never thought this would happen so it was a big deal for me because 
it opened up the door to so many subgenres of music I did not know existed. And I got to experience it firsthand, a lot of it, which I think uh, now it's kind of like you just stumble across stuff on the internet. Not that I didn't do that for some stuff, but like, you know, listening to like DB raw punk and like, you know, certain types of death metal and black metal and power violence and all that stuff. Like I experienced those things firsthand before I even knew what it was. You know, it was awesome. Like you don't really get, I don't think you get that experience as much anymore. Everything's so like, you could just read about it on the internet mm-hmm. without even having to see it. It was cool that like, I just was put right there, experienced it firsthand. You know, it's really meant a lot. And how old were you when dad started taking you to shows? Um, according to my parents, the first show they brought me to was the Verukers at CB or not CBGB's, uh, uh, Tommy Square Park. Wow. But obviously I don't remember that. That was probably like in the late nineties. Cause I was born in 94. So that'd be like late nineties or something. But, uh, my parents, my dad would book shows at the meat locker in New Jersey. Um, so they brought me to shows throughout my entire life, essentially, but uh, I wasn't really conscious of it until I was like, I don't know, like I, I would probably have to ask my dad that, but I, I had to be like seven or eight or something starting to go shows. Like they brought me to like, uh, like, like you would do anti-racist action benefits. And I remember uh, there was one flyer I have somewhere in my folder of saved flyers where it was like this band, eyes of hate, uh, verbal abuse and uh, a few other bands um so yeah he just brought me to shows when i was super young but uh i wasn't super conscious of all of it you know i was just like oh that's cool it's the thing we do it was normal to me um but i think when we started going to abc specifically is when i really started having that independence to do my own thing and really take in everything because by that time 2007 i was like uh 13 i think probably 13 or 14 i think that's right okay now, so let me ask you this then. You talked about moving and living in different areas of New Jersey, but you also brought up Montclair, New Jersey. I always yes. got the impression that you were a little bit younger than um, some of the guys who, 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 you know, like Josh, who's in Scuzz with you, or mm-hmm. Jeremy, and that whole crew of guys that's associated with bands like Unmen and so on. Yeah. Well, I'm def- I'm younger than them. I uh, uh, Josh is what, like, he's like, three or four or three years older than me. I can't remember off the top of my head. Jeremy is a bit older. I don't remember how many years, but um, what was cool actually was just to fast forward a little bit, you know, we go to ABC and stuff and uh, we were living in Maywood, New Jersey. And I would go to the city a bunch to the shows of my dad and everything. And uh, we would go to Montclair to go to the meat locker. I didn't meet those guys in the meat locker because at that time the meat locker was strictly punk it was like barely metal bands uh most the person who was booking at the time think was this guy dave and he booked exclusively punk uh stuff so i would go to those shows but we always loved montclair because you know you had the meat locker there was a it's a cool city or town rather and uh we ended up moving there in 2009 because uh, our landlord pulled some like super shady shit at our house in Maywood. And my parents were like, holy crap, there's a attic apartment. Cause in Montclair, obviously, for those who don't know, it's like a, it could be, it's a little bit of a wealthier town in New Jersey. And a lot of the houses are like Victorian houses and shit. 
old houses. Um, my parents were looking for a place to move and there was an attic apartment, meaning that it was an attic that the landlord very shittily <laughs> made it into an apartment. It, it just passed as an apartment. It was like, yep, that's technically an apartment. It was cheaper than our rent was in Maywood. And my parents were like, you know, our kid loves this music. There's a thing there he can go to. Uh, there's a lot more stuff. The school is cool and all that stuff. So we moved to Montclair and that's really where my music venture started where I was like, Hey, I want to play in a band, you know? So it was a big deal and being able just to go to like a local venue. It was very cool. And they, I mean, they had a lot of stuff in Montclair that I think a lot of kids grow up there took for granted that, you know, it's the first place I moved to where I was meeting kids who liked the same stuff as me in New Jersey. I didn't have to go all the way to New York to find kids you know, of like, hey, do you like this thing? It's like, I go to Montclair, I'm walking around my town and I'm seeing kids with like band shirts that are not entirely what I like, but it's close enough that it's like a big deal, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, wow. All right. It's cause, cause yeah. And, and, um, just for the listeners too, uh, we, we talked a little bit about the Montclair scene when we talked to Eric Schnee, um, drummer of Organ Dealer. Not that he's from there, but he's also he associates with some of those guys too. Going back, and I'd I'd of course love to speak to Josh, Jeremy, and so on and so forth eventually. But now that we got you on the hook, I don't want to dwell so as much on your on your past because we covered that a lot so far. I want to get into your bands and everything else. One last question though: uh, Is your dad still actively involved in like the music scene and in that in that community? Yeah. So my dad, he still follows a lot of. Uh, like he'll go to shows sometimes. Um, but for him now, like he uh, does uh, Montclair make music um, in Montclair where every uh, June, he's going to kill me for this. I forgot the exact date. <laughs> I think it's June 19th. Every June 19th, there's a day of free music in Montclair and he helps organize that. That is a direct result of Punk Island because Punk Island was done on the same day as make music day, which is in a holiday uh, or like an international thing, like a day of music. And my dad, uh, there's, there was a lot of drama with the punk Island stuff. Um, You know, just like, it was such a cool thing. And I think a lot of like local politics got involved into it between music scenes and you know how music scenes are. You could be, you could like the exact same shit, but if you're not, you know, there was like a thing with like C squat and ABC were two different groups that would book and they don't really particularly like each other. There was a lot of drama. So my dad was like, Hey, I'm going to just do something in Montclair. So he started doing that. So he books shows all the time, but it's not strictly anything punk or metal. He just does all kinds of music. All right, man. Good for, sounds like an interesting guy, man. Cool. Um, so moving forward, I know like the first band I know of yours from the research is Emetic. Um, yeah. which people can find on Bandcamp. You had Murder Music uh, in 2013. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you want to, before we really touch on that band, a medic, what was there? You said there was a few blips on the radar. Maybe that's what happened before that. So with a medic, um, that was the first band I did. And basically um, I was just really stoked to start making music. And, uh, before I became super tight with Josh and Jeremy, uh, and I was really involved too much in their music scene, uh, I was still pretty rooted in like the punk and hardcore scene. And uh, me and a few friends, um, 
they weren't particularly into any of the music I liked, but they were my friends. And I was like, Hey, we should like do a band together. That'd be fun. So, you know, I just kind of showed them some stuff. I was like, Hey, let's just like try to play. Like, I don't know, just let's just play and see how it comes out. So we started doing that. So that was like 2011. We, we recorded a, a really bad demo. That's not online. It's horrendous, but we did a, more of an official demo in like 2012, which I just got remastered, uh, which it's like, if you go to like this record label, Shirley Road Records has uh, remasters of the demo. Um, but we started doing that band and uh, it was just like a hardcore punk band, you know, just a lot of, we didn't really know what the fuck we were doing. So we would just like be idiots, I guess. Um, so we would just like be playing and just like, break shit, you know, uh, fucking throw stuff around. Uh, you know, we would just a lot of stupid shit like that and uh, very juvenile stuff. Uh, things you do when you're 15 or 16, you know? Yeah. So we did that and we did the demo. Uh, we did like the murder music thing. And then around the same time, I met some other kids that were around the same age as us who were kind of the same stuff. And we just did like uh, another project with them that was really short lived. That was kind of like a noise core project uh, called dead worm. And uh, then there was one other project I did with Ben, my buddy, Ben, who played in a medic with me. That was also the first drummer for scuzz. We did another band called nothing matters that we only did like two on the flight. I, you know, it was just like, I want to put out as much stuff as humanly possible. And uh, I just wanted to play stuff that I like to hear, you know, it was just for the sake of just having fun, you know, as a lot of people do, they just, you know, they just want to do every type of band, every type of style and just do as much as possible. So we kind of had that mindset and uh, we kind of burnt ourselves out a little bit. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the earlier days of music. So that was like a medic and like two other bands. So that was like, pre-scuzz and pre-pink mass and then by the time scuzz and pink mass started those bands kind of fizzled out okay and one one quick question medic did you guys actually or maybe i misread this did you perform supporting andrew wk at one point yeah we did <laughs> let's talk let's talk about it <laughs> we did um so yeah like with uh, oh it was a pay-to-play show i just gotta clarify it wasn't like he was like yo this is Andrew WK. Uh, we want this. I want this fucking band. Nobody knows about to play for us. It wasn't <laughs> like that. It was like the typical like Andrew WK is playing the Stanhope House. Uh, do you want to play? You have to sell these tickets. And of course, we didn't sell any tickets uh, because it's like, why would you know? So we did. We did open that, um, which was funny. And like, you know, we did the same stupid shit we always did. Like, I, I'm surprised they let us play. Um, we honestly like we. I'm supposed to get our asses kicked when we were, when we were kids. Cause like, I would like break the microphones from the meat locker on my face. That's not even a joke. I would like break the microphones on my face. We'd be throwing our instruments, our bass player, Max at several shows, just threw his bass down in the middle of the song and just like threw himself <laughs> into the audience. And at Andrew WK, we did the same stuff at the Stanhope house. So like, it was a completely like full show we're playing like, uh, I think we played second and uh, same thing happened. It's like, you know, my buddy throws down his, uh, their bass and just 
flings himself into the crowd, started hitting people and just doing dumb shit. And uh, yeah, and it, we were particularly goofy at this time uh, in the band right before it ended. We just got very apathetic. We were just like very like I was listening to a lot of like stupid bands like Anal Cunt and stuff like that. And I was just treating it like a complete joke. Mm. So that was yeah. So yeah, that we did play with Andrew WK. Long story short. Wow. I mean, did you actually meet him or it was just kind of like, oh, no. <laughs> we, we, left, we left before he came out because the chick who hit us up was like, hey, don't tell anybody this. But Andrew WK, he's technically playing, but it's not his band. It's his solo keyboard thing. Oh, and I was boy. like, wow, that sucks. I'm going to go. I don't want to see that. <laughs> so we left. <laughs> I love it. That's great, man. Yeah. Wow. All right. Well, that's interesting uh, uh, booking there. Um, uh, so so then then Scuzz and Pink Mass, as you mentioned, they, they both start around 2014, right? Yep, 2014. Scuzz started originally... Um, I did not know how to play guitar. Scuzz was the first band I played guitar in, and I learned guitar as I played it for that band. Um, I just wanted to go a different direction. I was listening to more, like, you know, I was kind of returning to the earlier roots of, like, listening to, like, more grind and gore grind stuff and noise core stuff I listened to. And uh, I wanted to play stuff like that. And, uh, you know, it just... The, the guys in the band, the guitar player and bass player, they just kind of got burnt out on playing music and they just didn't, they want to do other stuff, which is totally fine. And uh, me and Ben, the original drummer, were just like, hey, man, let's do a two piece band. Like uh, there's a lot of like two piece grind bands like Pizza High Five and PLF and all these bands. And like, let's just do something. Let's just do something like that. So me and him just started jamming. We recorded a demo and uh at the same time is when I reconnected with uh, Josh and Jeremy. I would see Jeremy all the time because when I, my when a medic would play, Jeremy, one, some of Jeremy's bands would play on the same shows. We just see each other all the time. He actually lived pretty close to me, so I just see him walking around. And uh, oh, he was also my substitute teacher in high school. <laughs> I thought about that, which is hilarious. So we would just like be sitting in class, and be my substitute teacher, and like, please say, hey, come over here. We just start talking about music stuff in front of the whole class because everybody was like, you know how substitute teachers are. They're like, yeah, just, uh, you know, do this work for the day. And uh, I'm just going to put my uh, turn my head and over here and just don't be an idiot. So he would just call me. We talk about like fucking like anal kind and like disrupt and just like a bunch of stupid bands. But huh. anyways, <laughs> we, we reconnected. And um, while we're doing SCUS stuff, me and Josh are hanging out quite a bit. And actually, I knew Josh's younger brother, Alex, who would play drums and paint masks before Josh. And I remember hanging out with Alex. I had like a, I had a Infernal Strongholds, which is a black metal band from Philly. I had a, the patch of theirs and I had a mutant supremacy patch on my hat. And Alex brings me over and Josh looks at me. He's like, what the fuck, dude? Like, those bands are awesome. Why are you hanging out with my brother? <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. So, you know, we, we knew each other and we would talk about music a little bit. I'd see him around. But in 2014, we like reconnected and uh, we were just hanging out one night. We got uh, sandwiches from Quick Check. We went to like a hardcore show, saw each other and we got, we got two sandwiches from Quick Check. And 
we're just like parked in front of my house. He's dropped me off. And uh, he was like, hey, man, do you want to jam sometime? And I'm like, yeah, that'd be awesome. So I just jammed with him and Jeremy in the early, before Pink Mass was really Pink Mass. It was me on drums, which I'm terrible. Cannot play drums. So that's how Pink Mass originally started. Uh, was there before we really got any theme down was me on drums, Josh and Jeremy. And then uh, I was like, you know what, man, I suck at drums and I, I love doing vocals. So can I just do vocals and we get a different drummer who's like good. And we got Josh's brother, Alex, uh, to play drums and he killed it, you know, for a dude who didn't really know a lot of the same stuff as us. He held it down hard. It was awesome. So that's kind of how those two bands started. Simon. So it's like at the same time, essentially, they're both, you know, we're both recording demos at the same time and, you know, all that jazz. So, yeah. Okay. And yeah, like you said with Scuzz, there was a lot of two man bands around the time. Josh, I believe, was just coming off of his stint in the band Bud Dwyer. Um, yes. Who had, who played yeah. a lot. They they got out there for, for a two man band, too. Those two, those, those two man projects. Well, I don't want to jump ahead too far, but with with a two-man project, I mean, I would imagine your experience, it's a lot easier to get out there and play shows on the road. Oh, hell yeah. Definitely. Way easier. And uh, real quick thing, the reason, another reason me and Josh started jamming is I actually was, uh, I don't want to say a roadie, because I didn't really do much. I just went to the shows them and carried stuff and helped plug stuff. I guess that's a roadie. But uh, I would I would go with Bud Dwyer all the time to play all these shows so I went to one of the, uh, I think maybe it was the first of not, I don't know, one of the obnoxious noise fest, one of the Tom McCarthy fest, I think Bud Dwyer played and uh, I went up with him. So I think noise played that and stuff. I forgot who else was on that. Um, but I would go with Josh all the time before we really started like jamming super hard uh, around the same time rather. And uh, I would just like roadie for Bud Dwyer. So that was cool, you know? played a lot of shows all right and and so now getting it scuzz is like <clears throat> in a way um kind of minimalistic it's just the two, you know paired down two members uh very mm-hmm. grindy very punk in, in spirit pink mass is another um it's not as easy to see with pink mass how you guys might have reached some of the conclusions you reached about sure. about aesthetic can we get into a little bit i mean how does it go from eating sandwiches in front of your house in the car let's uh, jam to what pink mass is known for now what's the what's the 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 inception of all this so okay so with pink mass jeremy originally he like jeremy got the name and the name is based off a story in 2013 where the satanic temple did a pink mass they called it a pink mass on the grave of the westboro baptist church's founder or their the founder's mother and the pink mass is essentially on the grave of uh the pink mass was performed the person in the grave posthumously uh will be uh entangled in the so like he married two women and two men on the grave of the founder and the Westboro Baptist church is obviously an extremely controversial, very homophobic, uh, religious, uh, group. So aren't the aren't they the, they're the ones that protest, um, soldiers, 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 funerals and things yes. like that as well. They those do it. The yeah. yeah oh, okay. they, very infamous. Okay. Yeah. Go on, go on. 
So uh, he married people in this pink mask on the grave. So basically, posthumously, it turns the founder gay. And whenever that uh, couple that's married on the grave engages in sex, uh, the spirit of that person is is, uh, receiving pleasure. So it's like a total, you know, fuck you to the Westboro Baptist Church. Uh, very blasphemous, you know, cool. So <laughs> Jeremy was like, dude, let's do a, this band with this name. And he kind of was like, I kind of want to do something like, I can't remember what band he said. I think it was like midnight or something. Like this is in the same time frame where like we're hanging out with Jam once and then we're hanging out another night and Jeremy brings up the idea. So we're sitting there, we're like, okay, let's start jamming. Let's see how it comes out or whatever. And uh, I was like, hey, you know, because a lot there, because obviously Josh Jeremy are big into metal, but um, they uh, were a little bit more like Josh, more like, more like grind, like power violence and hardcore stuff. And uh, I kind of was like, hey, you know, I really like bands like, like Carnivore. And, you know, like black metal bands like Archgoat and, you know, stuff that are like blasphemy, just like extreme, extreme metal bands who have this like mystique around them. And uh, we basically were just like, okay, so let's, let's like do something like Ghoul or something or Midnight and we'll wear costumes. We'll be a costume band and it'll be like anonymous kind of. And we're just going to play because obviously Josh and Jeremy have a very specific sound. So when they, they work so well together, they're like meant to be in bands together. They riff off each other so good. So they were just kind of doing their thing. You know, it just came out naturally how, when they would write stuff would come out. And, uh, you know, I was like, hey, let's try to do like stuff kind of like carnivore and stuff. So we started writing and I was like thinking about how I wanted to write stuff and, you know, thematically what it was going to be and lyrically and all that. And I kind of was like, you know, let's do something where it's like the, you know, uh, classic, like early death metal, black metal, like, you know, like leather, uh, Judas Priest, like, you know, all this kind of stuff. We're going to do it in like bondage. So be very like, uh, I guess, more like sexually themed. And we're basically going to be taking that sex and violence and metal image a lot of these bands have but let's do it more like you know queer like let's just <laughs> let's just be ourselves you know let's just like that's how it let's, let's do it that way so it started that way and uh it became more extreme where you know we released like our we released the demo or i don't want to get too with the head but uh we we evolved into a more extreme image as it went you know we're kind of just going with the flow and it was kind of just going this direction of more and more and more extreme so we kind of went with that yeah all right that well, that's that's a good start to everything um i mean i because i also remember in the very beginning you guys had a, a young woman that would come with you who was kind of a dominatrix and she would whip yeah. whip different members of the band and things like that yeah we we wanted to put on like a hell of a show and i think we had this attitude as you know, people were into like punk and metal and stuff. It's like, let's, let's make it extreme again. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's like, I feel like, I mean, there's a lot of great bands, but like, you don't always get that same vibe with bands that you got with other stuff where it's like, there's a mystique to it. It feels like dangerous and scary and like 
you don't get that that often. It's really hard to find that sometimes because it's, you know, it's not as mysterious or whatever, but it's just like, let's just like make it extreme again. You know, it's like, let's make it like, like let's put on a hell of a show, you know, like let's make it fucking like scary and intense. So that's, yeah. like I said, that's kind of the route it went down. Yeah. All right. So there's a, there's a lot here. Um, I don't want to miss anything. Now, you guys, like you said, you put out <laughs> posthumously curious. The name gets me. Uh, in 2014, which built up to your uh, f- first full-length uh, slut cult in 2016. Um, in that time period, I mean, because I remember the band back then being more of like a brutal grindcore band. Like you said, Jeremy and Josh have kind of like a set uh, style between them that, that that they've they've honed over the years. Um, For sure, you talked about evolving. How did the sound evolve? But also talk a little bit about how the stage show evolved. Like, what did you guys learn along the way? There had to be some some uh, learning curves in terms of what you can and can't do. Yeah. So there was a mindset that I think I developed in writing because Scuzz and Pink Mass are literally at the exact same time. Like by the time we recorded a Pink Mass album, we immediately start, or, or touring, we would tour a Pink Mass, record an album, or write and record albums, and then Scuzz tour, do this. It was constant as much as we possibly could write and put out. So there was a lyric, you know, I'm kind of just like, as I'm writing more, and I'm like more, I guess, stoked on playing more like metal stuff, I'm starting writing lyrics more, and I'm kind of getting my style down. And I think, what really helped me get into the mindset of writing lyrics for Pink Mass was actually how I was writing lyrics for Scuzz. And uh, for Scuzz, I would do, um, I would write very personal lyrics, but I would write it very vague. And I would write it in such a way that you could have your own interpretation of it. And I would try to, because I think it's, you know, if you're writing sad stuff i think it's corny to be like a crybaby about it and like be what was me <laughs> yeah but there's a way to write it where it's like you're conveying a feeling you have that someone could relate to that in some way um i guess you could sort of i know ne- this is not a conscious thing but you could kind of in the same way like christian death you know the lyrics are very like full of like sorrow and depression and all these things but it's so vague that you don't even know what the fuck they're talking about, but I think that's what's so cool about it. So I was writing that way for Scuzz, and it really influenced how I would write for Pink Mass. So I would really just try to write like I was trying to convey a point, but I was trying to write it in such a way that it kind of fit with that fantasy element of metal, you know? So in both bands, you know, more personal for Scuzz, more just thematic with what we were trying to convey with pink mass. So it started there. And as we got into slut cult, um, we wrote some more like, uh, I guess more like upfront political songs, just to kind of set where we were at with stuff without being too preachy, just kind of expressing our views on stuff. But also instead of being like in a preachy way, really, get into like the fuck you visceral venomous aspect of extreme metal. So instead of being like a preachy band saying, this is how I feel. It's the like the fuck you. That's it. Like just like a total attack. So that's kind of where the lyrics 
started going towards. And then, of course, you know, by the next albums, well, when we get there, it became more, uh, it changed a little bit, you know. Okay. And now, because this is like something that I think people might want to get into is the costumes. And I mean, it's fairly self-evident what you're going for. Um, with this kind of ultra exaggerated BDSM type of thing, but once you get these, it must have been fun to make uh, all this stuff yeah. that you guys have, I imagine. But once you actually get out there, I mean, tell me about the very first show when you guys are like, you know, wherever you had to be putting it on. Because I, because also here's the thing too, it's not like certain bands that have a green room and a budget and everything. You guys did all of this changing in little, like, bathrooms of bars and out back, you know, loading docks and places like that, too. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, it's, like, for the image, it was, like, like I said, like, Jews Priest and all this kind of stuff. And when we were talking about music, Jeremy said this, and I, I totally agree with him. He was, like, let's do this style, but let's – do like a cross between this classic metal stuff and kind of go into like the very violent, aggressive black metal, like arch go and shit, like, or like Morbo Sadad, just like giant fucking gauntlets, gas masks, just really intimidating, bleak, scary shit. Let's do a mixture of those two things, but we'll do it with like, you know, a sex and violence image, you know? And I think it's like the band is trying a lot of the topics and we will get into this later, but it's a lot of the thematically is about like uh, sexual fantasy. So it's like, what's the consensual sex and violence thing? It's BDSM, you know, so it's perfect for that. It, it's blending the old metal elements with some of the more like scary, like bestial black metal kind of elements. And uh, it just kind of pieces it together. So we, we were like, let's do that. And our first show, we didn't, we the first show is a story man oh my god <laughs> the first show as you could tell as you could assume it's not always well received um <laughs> it's and and that's cool man i'm fine with that i'm not a crybaby about negative attention like you know you, you, if you're gonna be a transgressive artist man you gotta embrace that shit you gotta go with it you can't you know you just gotta you gotta do your thing man and uh the first show was um okay so like i said earlier my dad books uh every june montclair makes music and he's booking it and uh he's like he wants to do a metal show at the end of the night uh after the day of music and he's like hey uh does some of your bands want to play this show uh, the end of the night show, the metal show. And I was like, yeah. So like, you know, um, Scuzz was going to play uh, Pink Mass was going to be our first show. He asked, he was like, hey, does Pink Mass want to play? We're like, yeah, let's make this our first show. Totally. Um, a few other bands. I, I can't remember who else is on it. But anyways, so we're, we're booking this day. I'm helping my dad book some of the shows. And he's like, hey, let's find a show, uh, a place to do the metal show. So I go to this fucking dot this i mean how do you want to say dive bar is complimenting it complete shithole it's called the erie saloon in montclair <laughs> this bar was on the it was right next to it, the train where you would catch the train to go to new york was this little bar at the train station 
they would have some shows there. They got pretty uh, wild and uh, there didn't seem to be much of an issue. So I'm like, all right, cool. Let's go talk to the guy and see if we can book a show on June 19th. It'll be the first pink match show. So I go, there's a chick at the bar. I'm like, yo, uh, we want to book a show on this date. Is this available? And she's like, yeah, we're available on that day. I'll write you down for it. I'm like, fuck yeah, thank you. What I did not know about this was that the, the person who booked it, the girl I talked to, she was quitting. So her final fuck you to her boss was she booked a show, a metal show, on a random day, and her boss didn't know about it, which I found out when we showed up. <laughs> so, and, you know, you could already see this is going, being Pink Mass's first show. It's like out of a movie. Okay, all right, go ahead. Yeah, so it definitely is. It's so day of the show. I show up, me and Josh, with the setting up all the equipment. We're all giddy. We're excited to play. And uh, we get there, and we bring all the equipment in. And this the the owner, a very old fashioned man, uh, is like, "Hey, what are you doing?" And we're like. Um, we have a show here and we're loading in. And he was like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, we booked a show. It's on the calendar. He was like, what? And he goes, look at the calendar. He's like, oh, I, I guess there is a show. He's like, I don't, I don't know anything about this. So I'm like, oh, he doesn't know anything. He doesn't even know it's a metal show. He's just like, oh, it's going to be like some acoustic guitar shit or whatever. So we're moving <laughs> tables around to make space in this bar to play. And, you know, it's, and the day is ending. We're all set up and we're like, okay, we're going to play. We do a little sound check. The guy's like, okay, whatever. We're not in the costumes or anything yet. We go into the bathroom. By the way, this whole thing is on YouTube. You can watch this whole thing happen. Okay. So I'll link it to you after. <laughs> um, so we go get changed in the bathroom. We come out. And it, it wasn't obviously as extreme as our costumes later because we just put it together uh, pretty quickly we didn't have the satan cock we didn't have the nail dick yet none of that wasn't there yet but it was still like you know the get mass and all this stuff we start playing and the dude flips out gets so <laughs> mad and he goes over and he goes next to josh and he's trying to get josh to stop and he's like you could see him pointing like out back like he wants to go outside and shut down the show Josh basically tells me to go fuck himself. And we just keep playing the entire set, play the whole set and uh whole show gets shut down. The guy was so pissed off at us. That was our first show. <laughs> that was how it went. We like the, we, the show got shut down. The guy was pissed. And uh, that's kind of how it all started. So wow. it was a good foreshadowing of things to come. I'll tell you that much. So <laughs> what, what, what does your dad think of pink mess? Dad loves it. He thinks it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> he thinks it's cool. <laughs> oh boy! All right. So now you 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 touched on a lot talking about Pink Mass, the whole like bestial black metal aspect of it, um, blasphemy, and and all these bands. What? Because you guys have you guys managed to actually get out there and play with some pretty cult acts at some of these very cult black metal and and uh, cult death metal fests, right? Yes. 
Can you tell me a little, because that, it seems like a some somewhat insular scene. You guys are kind of like more punk rock grindcore dudes from Jersey. Was What was it like to infiltrate that scene? Was it just automatic respect because you were willing to put it out there like that? Um, It was uh, met with mixed reviews, I'll say that. Because, you know, because th- here's the thing. It's like with black, and I, I love a lot of black metal stuff, but for such a blasphemous uh, rejection of whatever kind of scene, it is the most crybaby, uh, stay in your lane, you know, it's a bunch of wimps that, that put it, you know, for guys that are like, we don't listen to wimpy music. It is a bunch of wimps. <laughs> and uh, we played uh, some pretty uh, high profile uh, black metal shows. And we kind of came with this attitude of like, let's just go all out. Let's just, it, let's not worry about pissing these guys off. Cause fuck them. You know, that's what this whole music is supposed to be about. Right. So it's like, we, uh, we, I remember our first very cult black metal kind of show we played was we opened martyr doom that revenge was playing. And it was Revenge, Spectral Voice, Blood Incantation. What, who are just like some of the like earlier bands? And it was Revenge, and I can't remember who else is on it, but Revenge was the headliner. At this time period, we were adding our friend Connor on second guitar. And Connor was the guy that was in the stockade being whipped on that video of us playing before Connor was in the band. So... We play, Connor only knows half the set, but we were not going to turn down the offer to play with Revenge. <laughs> so it's at St. Vitus. So we play half the set with Connor, and then we play the re- second half of the set. And Connor, in because this is when we had like more intense get-ups and shit, and we're like basically like half naked and all that. And Connor uh, jumped off stage into the crowd of uh, all these guys holding, uh, crossing their arms and shit. It was so funny. And uh, so that was kind of our attitude with those kind of shows was like, we love this kind of stuff, but like, let's, you know, let's, let's bring it, you know? Um, So yeah, that's kind of how that went. Well, it seems like a confrontational attitude is almost um, the, the one, like the the right way to approach it with that type of uh, music too. It's like the respectful way to do it, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Interesting, man. Um, and I didn't realize you guys played with Blood Incantation at one point, too. That's an interesting fact. Uh, it was really early when they started, and I remember yeah. one of the guys borrowed my guitar pedal, I think. So, uh, we like, I there was some because I was at the merch table and I was talking to some guy who used to be in the band, and he was super nice. So, we were just chatting, but this was so early in them existing. I think they only had like a demo out or something by this point. It's like, I think it was like 2000. 15 i think i don't know yeah. how long they were around before that but it was still early enough that they weren't like headlining the show or anything you know they were still like right in the middle so nice guys man um i would love to hear paul Riedel, the the front man explain like the cosmic vibrational like reasoning behind like bdsm and nail Cox. Oh yeah, he's probably got some sort of deep reason for it. he could he could tell you like, like I'm sure <laughs> why it exists. But yeah, but anyway, man, um, I got you on the horn, so I don't need him now. That let's go there. Tell me why does that exist? I mean, it, it's kind of like you know it explains itself with with what you guys are doing visually and all that sort of thing. But did, did 
specifically the, and just for the listeners, if you're not familiar, the huge dildo with nails in it that became kind of like the band's, I want to say mascot in a way. Yeah. Tell First of all, tell me about that. Um, I mean, obviously someone made it and you guys were like, this is a great stage prop for us. Was there ever yeah. any issues with that being like, you know, the, this, the, the club didn't want it in there? Is It's a weapon or anything like that. Did it ever like, did you ever lose track of it and it got in the crowd somewhere? Um, so we made it for our second show, which was in New Brunswick, New Jersey. And we were on Josh's porch and, uh, we used some of the band money to buy it. We put nails in it. It was like Jeremy's idea. And, uh, we're like, let's wear this man. It's fucking crazy. It's got nails in it. That's like, this is so intimidating. It is dangerous. We are just, cause like, you know, people put nails in their gauntlets and it's like, what if it's like a a dick with nails. That's awesome. You know, that's way more in keeping with what we're doing. It's suit. I mean, it's just, it's very, uh, if you see a guy pull that shit out, man, you know, it's like, Whoa, what is, what's going on? So we were kind of going for that. Um, it did it cause problems. Yes. Um, <laughs> the whole, I mean, the whole, we would play shows. Cause the thing is, um, so I guess I, this is somewhere really, but you know, uh, there's a whole thing that Sasha Baron Cohen said when he was doing uh, uh, when he because he does Borat and stuff, and he was doing Bruno as a character, and he was saying um, that Bruno as a character kind of started where he was like it, he went to like a fucking like like a white power show or something, and he was trying to like piss off the guys he was interviewing, and he realized that a lot of things would. Uh, not piss the guys off but something about him being gay made them so uncomfortable they reacted so strongly to it so he kind of went with it with pink mass it was never that we had bds none of that stuff it was because of the 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 gay thing that pissed people off and that's what got us in a lot of trouble with certain places we played because as soon as they saw like what we were doing and they saw it was gay they were they got very upset and there was one show in Binghamton, New York, where we were getting changed as per Pink Mass show, getting changed in the bathroom. We're getting changed in the bathroom at Fitzy's in Binghamton. I, I'm sure you know that spot. Yeah, um, I, yeah. I used to I used to eat chicken there all the time. Nice. I'm not, I don't so know. We're at, <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're at Fitzy's and we're in the bathroom, single stall, just a giant room with a toilet. We're getting changed in there. And uh, at the show we were playing, it was like a mixture of the typical, like the Binghamton, you know, crew and just some, you know, upstate New York, uh, hometown, you know, homegrown uh, good old boys drinking at the bar. Well, yeah, Binghamton. I mean, what is that? I guess that's somewhat of a college town, I guess. Yeah, it's like a college town, but it's like one of those like very like uh, it's like one of the bigger upstate New York areas but like obviously Fitzy's is a very like uh not a dive bar but it's just like you know it's got something older folks yeah I'm, I'm just saying i like binghamton isn't really like what you know when people if people if people who aren't from the region the listeners might be thinking this is like new york city or something like that no this no, it's, is, it's, it's like a, it's like yeah. an hour or something because it's like one of those places where like when you're going to upstate you're like going through middle of nowhere and it's like one of the first few places you hit that's yeah. like an actual uh city i guess and uh i mean i've come to love that place it's it's a very like you know uh yeah college town kind of just like very upstate new york vibes 
kind of honestly kind of reminds me of some of when you leave Portland in the Pacific Northwest and you get into more like rural Oregon or Washington, very similar vibe. Yeah. So anyways, we're at the show and we're getting changed in the bathroom per usual. And a guy uh, wants to pee. He's drunk. He's not there for the show. He's just drinking there. Uh, you know, on, I think it's probably like a Saturday night or something. He's like, trying to use the bathroom and he's wasted he's like what's going on in there the fuck are you doing in there and he fucking uh busts the door open and he sees us in our getup, and that man's face just turned into complete like rage <laughs> and uh he's you know he starts calling us uh stuff and uh we're ready to fight him and uh he sees the the nail dick and fucking Jeremy darts up and fucking chases the guy with the, with the nail dick outside, like threatening to kick his ass. It was awesome. Wow. <laughs> it was really cool. So yeah, that was you know it was it was met with uh, you know uh, like I said with the other guys, mixed reviews. You know, some people loved it and some people uh, hated it. So you know, uh, yeah, it's yeah, it was it was definitely one of those kind of things. Have you guys gotten any sort of support, or um, uh, has anyone like come to to tell you guys they enjoy the band outside of the extreme music scene, just because of the the image somehow, or because of what you guys um, try to express? Yeah, actually, um, I uh, I had a I had a, a friend or two uh, who reached out to me that uh, said that me doing the band. Uh, kind of gave them the courage to come out and uh you know be themselves and stuff which i thought was awesome so i got a lot of kids like that where they're just like because you know people don't listen to metal i think they have this interpretation of it's you know boys club and it's all this kind of stuff and when they people saw that they were like this is cool and uh you know it spoke to them for reasons outside of them liking the music so we did get a lot of support from people just solely based on what we were doing you know it's very cool. I'm very happy. Anything positive people take from it, that's awesome. That's what we're doing it, man, you know? All right. Uh, interesting, man. Um, Well, so you said metal, and I want to talk a little bit there because it seems like, and just for the listeners, if they don't realize, you guys just in the last few days put out the single Sulfuric Blessings, uh, mm-hmm. which is on your band camp. Apparently that's going to be on your upcoming EP, Nympho Commando. Um, yep. that all that, all that information is on your band camp. What the reason is this song sounds like a very structured, polished, uh, in terms of songwriting, I'll say polished, very raw production, still Swedish death metal kind of influence, old school death metal song. It seems like a little bit of a departure. Not that you guys never had death metal in your songwriting, which you definitely did. Um, especially on the Ballad of Satan Cock, the last song was it was kind of like a four minute epic metal song. But mm-hmm. this song, Sulfuric Blessings, um, you want to talk a little bit about that? Is is and is does that indicate maybe where the whole EP is going? Yes. So to take it back a little bit, after we did Slut Cult, we did an album called Necrosexual, mm-hmm. and on that uh, full length third ever full album, uh a thematic thing that I started getting really into writing was I wanted to start writing about more unconventional, extreme, but consenting uh, fetishes and fantasy. So, you know, on Necrosexual, 
there were songs that were about like I would do my research I would like read like because it's not like I would write about stuff that I'm not personally into but I wanted to do my research about it and write about it write it for people who like that and it's just like because you know how like metal bands are they write about all this like bleak fucked up stuff but they're like almost writing about it in a way like oh, that's fucked up and nasty and gross, where I was like, I want to write about it for the people who like these things and write it almost like as a fantasy for that person. So on Necrosexual, we wrote about a lot of like uh, fantasies of like spectrophilia, uh, vorophilia, which is the sexual fetish of being eaten alive. Um, and I'm writing it for someone. If you like that, this I'm writing it for you, you know? So we started writing about uh, fetishes and stuff. We departed from the political stuff because it was like well we already stated where we stand we started writing about that um so and there was a very like romantic uh you know like jeremy obviously he like loves stuff like at the gates and and all that and like a lot of like swedish bands and uh you know you hear especially with the new stuff like you hear a lot of that influence from him and our drummer dj uh really had a lot of influence from like dissection and uh at the gates and a lot of more like melodic -y kind of bands which is a little different than the stuff i like but i definitely have a lot of appreciation for it um but anyways uh it just you know it became more structured and more musical and um the lyrics became more talking about these like fantasies and fetishes that people uh like and i'm you know so for the new ep sulfuric blessings uh basically the whole ep is going to is thematically based on fluid-based fetishes. So it's basically like four songs and Sulfuric Blessings is about, uh, I forgot the nice sounding term for it, but it's about eating shit. It's what it's about. Um, and uh, it's written in such a way that, uh, you know, it's, it's written in like a very like pornographic uh, fetishy, kind of a way instead of it being like a gross out thing it's just you know it's written a really like romantic kind of a way so that's kind of a theme on that album so musically it's very like yeah like i i agree it's like it has a very like polished death metal sound to it a little bit more huh. all right um a lot there man now yeah and i did kind of breeze over 2017's necrosexual which you described, and I, you know, as although it was kind of a developed musically, I was listening to it today. It does strike me as a little bit more of a straightforward grindcore influenced album. For sure. uh, not that it doesn't have its metal parts. It just seems like maybe over that. Um, I wrote, I wrote it down. The last track on the <laughs> saying these song titles, "The Ballad of Satan Cock EP," uh, "Repulsive Resurrection." That was like four mm -hmm. minutes plus, which which was a little lengthy compared to some of your other songs, and it went a lot of different sure. places. Very like it was like almost like a progressive uh, for Pink Mass type of song. For sure. Um, and then so now I heard this new, the, you know, the new song when I checked it out. It's it's like again, it's very um, uh, structured. I'll, I'll, I'll use the word in, in terms of songwriting. So it's just interesting to see where the band's going. Have you developed? Um, the idea or the intuition maybe that over the years doing Pink Mass that putting out this outlandish image and all this crazy stuff to go with the band that you have to kind of put your money where your mouth is when it comes to the music and you have to mm -hmm. really have something to, to put out when you get up on stage there? 
for sure. You know, because people write off gimmick bands as your your gimmick is trying to cover up your musicianship, you know? So it was like, why don't we have the best of both worlds? The costumes are cool and the music's like good. So we really push ourselves with the music, you know? All right. And I guess, you know, we've talked a lot about Pink Mess. Um, I, I do want to talk a little bit about Scuzz and, prom- and promote that before we wrap up. But one last question about Pink Mess. You, you, got, you, you, you picked my interest now when you talked about the writing for the lyrics for um, the Necrosexual uh, album. That, so you did a lot of research into these different sexual fetishes. Um, I mean, you know, I guess the obvious go-to would be Pornhub or something like that, but was there any actual, like, were there books you read? Was there anything that gave you like a deeper kind of psychological or sociological insight into any of this? Um, it was, honestly, a lot of it came from, I'm a, I'm huge into true crime. We could, we'll talk about this more with Scuzz because Scuzz has a lot more references to true crime stuff. Okay. But, uh, a lot of true crime stories you know, there's a lot of very like sexual motivations and uh, a lot of fetishes and lifestyles are demonized through these stories. So I would read stories about someone like Armin Mivis, who met the man online to uh, consume him. And uh, it just was like, you know, they were on a forum for uh, the Cannibal Cafe or it wasn't the Cannibal Cafe. It was on AOL but it was predating the Cannibal Cafe. But things like the Cannibal Cafe existed. There's websites like Dark Fetish Network where it's like you hear these stories, but there are people who are into these as fantasy strictly and it's consenting entirely. So it was kind of like reading about this stuff through true crime and just kind of like, you know, reading about these things that are demonized and stuff. And it's like, man, this is like, cool and it's like i wish pp is you know people write i mean i love bands like macabre and shit like that you know but it's like when you talk about these types of topics or extreme fetishes there's usually like a very like shock value where it's the butt of the joke or like gross out stuff and i was like man like reading about this shit i want to write this in a way that it's like i want to write for the people who experience this to be like yo like the, the consensual aspect of it i want to write it in favor pro like you're you're exploring these avenues that are unconventional and you're not hurting anybody you know kind of like the unheard voice in that so that's kind of how i started reading about this stuff i would just do the research into it i'd read about you know vorophilia and you know reading about like i wouldn't <laughs> wouldn't go on porno but i would go on like reddit and like go through like forums of like fantasy and i wanted to make sure that for that album specifically reading about these like death fetishes and stuff and, you know, listening to podcast episodes of people who have a death fetish or, you know, these extreme, more extreme fetishes, um, kind of hearing where they're coming from and what their reasoning and everything behind it, what they get out of it is. And I was like, I want to write in that perspective, in that way, in that Avenue. Cause I feel like that's not done, you know? So that's, that's where that started. So that's kind of where I did all the research. I would, at least for that with the new album, I've just been doing research about like extreme cinema and extreme fetish films, which is a lot of fluid based uh, fetish stuff. So that's kind of uh, just reading up about like different movies and stuff like that. So yeah, that's kind of that, how I kind of researched all that stuff. 
That's interesting, man. I love um I love I love hearing about when people go to a little bit extra lengths with their lyrics. Uh that that's that's very interesting. Now doing all that research and just kind of getting your head in that space. Was there anything? Because I mean, we're we're kind of casually talking about some some pretty um, some pretty out there things that a lot of people might be offended by, or you know, just sure. just kind of like repulsed by the the thought of what of all these different fetishes and these acts that you you were researched. Like, is there any that really stand out to you that you even you kind of find you know repulsive or? Uh, or I, I don't know, you know, because I, I know that you part of this is also you don't want to necessarily um, offend or put down anyone who, you know, who has these uh, these feelings or these fetishes. But is there is there one that you just kind of can't wrap your head around? Um, I mean, it's it's one of those things where, like, I think I can't wrap my head around stuff when it's so specific that it's like I don't get it. Like, it's like so it's not even like a general. It's just like a very specifically like I don't. It's like, it's more that it's like, I'm not repulsed by it, but I'm just like, I just don't, it's like, I would want to know why someone likes that. Huh. Um, so like, uh, I, it, what I've learned is a lot of times people do it based on like experience. So like, it's not so much the like extreme stuff because you read about like vorophilia or these kind of death fetishes, like you kind of get it once you read it and you're like, oh, that doesn't, that's not whatever. But it's more of like, like people who are into like sneezing <laughs> and stuff like that. And I'm yeah. just like, I don't, like it just doesn't make any sense to me and it's just like it's really hard to be like i don't understand exactly why people like this other than they're just like yeah i just like that so um anything that's repulsive is more so when it's like uh, a non-consensual thing so of course there's a small minority of folks where like there's they do not believe in consent and stuff and i would definitely come across some forums of people talking about stuff in such a way that was like borderline criminal behavior where it's like oh this is a different beast than any fetish this is like enabling each other so i would say it was more repulsed when i would read about like very uh troubling violent fantasies that did not have any consensual nature to it and that definitely rubbed me the wrong way okay okay that's i that's i guess that's the right answer man Uh, that's that's interesting um Wow, or a lot. Of, so, so now with Scuzz, I feel like you, you gave me the segue. You say that you talk about true crime st- stuff with Scuzz. Before we get into that, because um, you're talking about two bands that started around the same time and were very active around the same time. One of which was like a full lineup band that involved costumes and a, and a, a very specific gimmick. Scuzz, on the other hand, you're kind of two dudes um playing uh, uh your your music there's not so much of an image or whatever was it a was it a lot easier and kind of a relief when it came time to to do scuzz in a way oh for sure also with pink mass you don't want to do it too much to the point that it doesn't give an incentive for people to see it you want to bring something new to the table there's expectations obviously there where like scuzz was just like yeah just way easier you know it's just like you're just playing less complicated stuff you know less people you know it was a lot easier for sure with uh you you mentioned true crime in the lyrics do you want to get into that a little bit um outside of the realm of pink mass and just what what exactly fascinates you maybe like a few specific things that might have um uh that you maybe you wanted to convey or talk about in scuzz yeah so for scuzz i like i i read like i'm very into like true crime stuff like 
reading about stuff, you know, podcasts, like watching shit about it or whatever. Um, it started to influence my writing. And something that I thought was really interesting uh, as a technique writing is with SCUS, I used to write about things like in a very, uh, I would write about really personal stuff, but I would like do it with like very, um, not like metal imagery, but it's just like, like cool sounding stuff, if that makes sense. Like it sounded like more epic and shit and I had like a double meaning to it, but it was just kind of, you could take it either or. But with true crime, what I thought was interesting was when you, when you read a lot of true crime stuff, one of the most disturbing things about reading about really sick, depraved people is not just the bad things they did, but it's the aspects of them that are relatable. Mm -hmm. That freaks me out. So what I started doing for SCUS was I would be writing about like a personal experience or personal feelings and kind of relating it to uh, bad people, I guess. Um, so it's, it's kind of hard to explain, but that's kind of like where the writing went was like talking about like in this like vague sense, but it's like, that's what's so unsettling about it, you know? So that's kind of where the writing went with that. It was like reading about these true crime stories and these experiences and writing about these experiences in childhood and personal event like shit that like is somewhat relatable to the average person. I think that's what makes it so fucked up, but kind of adding a little element relating to that kind of. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So that's kind of where I went lyrically with that. Yeah, because most of these serial killers and um, spree killers, a lot of them, you know, the, the I guess you could say maybe they, they they spent a lot more of their their days in kind of a normal mundane lifestyle um, yeah. than they did killing people. It's just those those actions sure. are what why what made them infamous. It's it's you know they come from every yeah. everyday so like, everyday lifestyle. You know. Yeah. So like, I would like read about. Like, it was weird. Like I'd be reading about like a, a, a killer or something and they're something about their childhood or an experience they had that was very relatable to a similar experience I would have had or anybody who, you know, grew up in like uh, troubled times or whatever went through and it would inspire me to like write about a personal experience in a way, but I would kind of add a little like blurring the lines. So it's vague. And like, I'm singing from, I'm writing lyrics from the perspective of, like a bad person, but the aspect of it is really relatable. So like emotional trouble. So a perfect example, I think of this is, uh, uh, there's one song we have, uh, called sickening nostalgia and sickening nostalgia is basically like, like trauma, right? It's like when you're coming to terms with a traumatic event in your life that you thought was normal. And as you get older, you realize it wasn't normal. So it's like nostalgic in this weird way. It's, or when you experience something bad, if that makes sense, you know? Um, and I was writing about, uh, I was, I was that song. It was at the same time I was reading about this uh, angel of death from actually that's from New Jersey. And he had dealt with really bad depression and uh, he would talk about his depressive episodes of it feeling like he was wandering through like a fog, like a deep depression. And I remember reading that. I was like, I know the exact feeling this person's talking about. And there's nothing more uncomfortable than when you're reading about someone knowing the exact thing they're talking about. And it's like, I feel weird that I'm relating to that 
aspect of this person. Um, so Sigma Nostalgia is like kind of writing about this person and their depression, not like directly or anything, but it's just in terms of inspired by it while relating to my own issues with depression, if that makes sense. So it's kind of blurring that line. So it kind of is like there's a despair to the lyrics dealing with depression, anxiety, but not in like a, a whiny, sorry for me way, but in like trying to convey the abysmal grief of that fake sensation, you know? And I think conveying it in such a way that it feels like so dark, you know? Yeah. Cause that's how it feels. So I would write things in that way a lot. I wouldn't be directly referencing a killer or anything like that, but I would be writing about personal feelings through the lens of another more fucked up experience and writing it in that way. So as a person reading it, they kind of could half relate to it and then half be like, you know, yeah. All right, man. Um, and in, in terms of the true crime thing, you mentioned the, um, uh, what, what was the, are you, was you talking about, um, what was his name? Richard Kalin- Was it Richard Kalinsky? No, it was this guy, Charles Cullen. Okay. He was like a very like strange. He he was like he was an angel of death that was like practicing. He actually went to medical school or uh, practice in Montclair for like a brief like back in the seventies or something. But he was just one of those guys. Where I mean, that's a crazy story if you ever want to read about it. But essentially, okay. he had been um, he had uh, been killing people by like injecting them with this, I forgot what it is. I haven't, it, it, there's like a, it's some sort of like heart. It was something that would give people a heart attack. I forgot what the medication was. And instead of firing him, cause the hospitals would get in trouble if they fired him or I mean reported him cause it would fall back onto them. So they just quietly fired him and he would just be moved to different hospitals. And he killed people at each hospital, never got in trouble. And then in like 2000, he, uh, the uh, two newer homicide detectives got on the case uh, because a lot of uh, weird st- evidence started popping up that this guy might have been killing people. And uh, they basically got someone he was friends with at uh, the hospital to get him to confess uh, over dinner. And uh, he got in trouble. And uh, yeah, but uh, that's, yeah, Charles Cullen. Crazy story, man. Really crazy. Yeah, story. I think I've heard about it. I, you know, it's it's a, a, a passing interest of mine. The true crime thing. I've I've read certain books. I listen to. There's a pod, lights out podcast I listen to every once in a while that does a good job of summarizing a lot of these type of stories. Um, I just listened to a one on the Chicago Ripper Crew. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Oh my god, dude! The Chicago Ripper Crew totally fucked up. It's funny you mentioned that. Uh, two things. I don't know if they mentioned this. But I learned that one of the Chicago Ripper guys apparently worked with John Wayne Gacy. Yes, uh, that was the one thing so I took weird. away from it. So and, weird. Dude, there's a lot of, I mean, I, I haven't really gone down this wormhole, but but since we're here, because that made me go back and watch John, uh, John a couple of John Wayne Gacy interview videos um, from him in prison. And one of the things he says was he talks about how he used to, 
uh, you know, leave his house for the people who worked for him to party in when he went away. And he talks about how he, he uh, you had to be a very much smaller person than him to get down there in the floorboard. So it, may, it just makes you wonder if there were more people involved because you know the, yes, sometimes sure. the the cop, you know, sometimes the cops will try to smooth everything out so to 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 make the investigation clean. I don't know, man. Allegedly, not that I know anything about these cases, but the fact that. Right after he goes away, this whole new crew pops up, and one of them used to work for his construction company. That was super weird. It's very weird. Really weird, Um, man. The other thing, too, is something. uh, There's a band from out here. uh, Just as a quick side note related to that, uh, this band called Weregoat, super awesome, like, black metal band. Uh, They have a live album, and I I guess the guy who's in the band – He's into collecting like murderbilia and stuff. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Um, but uh, he basically, his girlfriend got one of the Chicago Rippers to uh, uh, draw, like paint a painting or something as a present for him. And he fucking used it for their live album. Wow. So uh, I, I have it on vinyl. I was like, this is crazy, man. I need to buy this. This is. I have not seen anybody do something like this. You know, that's that's even a little too far for me, but I just thought that was fascinating. It was like, wow, I have to buy this. This is crazy. Fascinating. Yeah, fascinating is the word, man. Um, I I would need a cup of coffee to figure out where I stand on that one ethically, but Uh, fascinating for sure, man. Yeah, I'd have to think about that one for a while, but that's interesting, man. Yeah, I mean, all this stuff is very interesting, man. Um, And uh, it's, you know, the thing about true crime is whether you like it or not, it happened, man. So I, 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 I get it. Um, it it's wow, man. Yeah, it's funny because I was waiting for like five minutes of you talking to bring up the John Wayne Gacy and the Ripper Crew guy working for him thing, and you brought it right up. Hell yeah, super weird. <laughs> well, yeah. that's a wormhole for the listeners to go down if they're interested in the true crime for aspect sure. now. But Scuzz. Uh, S-K-U-Z. While we're talking about it, 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 all your releases are there on Bandcamp, by the way. But what? where does the name come from? Um, so, funny enough, the name uh, comes from way before it even formed. I was hanging out with my buddy Mike, who played in Dead Worm and a Medic with me. Because, uh, you know, we just didn't really, you know, like when you're a kid, you're just kind of playing music. And you don't, you're not really going for anything. You're just trying to, like, play and see how it comes out. We were hanging out one day and he was just saying, uh, he's like, our music style, it sounds like scuzzy. Like that's a word like, like scuzzy means like dirty and like undesirable. And uh, I believe, and he was like, that's kind of what our music sounds like. And I'm like, that's yeah. So by the time scuzz formed with me and Ben, we didn't have a name yet. So we're going through all these different names. And I was like, why don't we use this name that uh, Mike brought up? So that's where the name came from, essentially. Okay, man. And I do want to quickly credit, I, you know, I've been talking about it as a two-man band, but you were occasionally joined by Connor Fleming on guitar and Trevor Graham on bass, right? Yep. For a brief amount of time, we were two-piece in the beginning, and then uh, we had Connor filling on bass, Connor from Pink Mass, on bass for a tour, and Trevor would play bass every once in a while when he was able to. So obviously Oregon Dealer plays played a lot at the time and they had, you know, way bigger band and a lot of cooler opportunities. So it was like, yeah, dude, go do that. Like, don't worry about, you know, don't bail on that to play with us, you know? Yeah, yeah. So we had on and off. And then for a brief amount of time, when we came back from tour with Connor, we uh, did it as a four piece and man, as a four piece, 
really hard for schedule shit to maintain that. <laughs> Tell me that about was, it. Yeah, it was crazy. Oh my God. It sounded so fucking heavy. You know, it was like, man, I kind of wish we could have stayed that way, but scheduling is so fucking hard to do, especially when guys in other bands and they have, you know, more strict jobs. They can't just take time off of their job. I've been fortunate enough that most jobs I've had, if I tell them, uh, you know, hey, I'm going to work like crazy and I'm not going to take time off, but I'll give you a few months in advance. I'll be gone for two weeks to go on tour. If you're cool with that, I'll fucking work my ass off. And it was always cool. Some people do not have that luxury. So I completely understand. It's really hard to balance all these different projects, you know? Yeah, yeah. it definitely is, man. I, I hear you. Um, and imagine if you imagine if the basis of your band was all four guys. <laughs> oh my even, god, uh, I know it's crazy, man. <laughs> or even worse, uh, um, I, I, my band Reeking Aura, we got six of us, man. It's punishment. Okay. But um, yeah, it's like doing Sudoku to uh to get the the, the, the rehearsal <laughs> scheduled, but <laughs> just to practice. Yeah, let play a show. <laughs> yeah. But it's a shout to those guys, man. I'm busting balls, man. I love you, but. Um, so I've, I, you know, I'm trying to be respectful of your time. I've had you for a while, bro. You know, this has been a great conversation. I learned a lot, to be honest with you, especially behind your lyrics. I appreciate that. Um, and I know, what, of course, and I know what it's like as somebody who mainly sings in a style where nobody knows what you're saying, but you still try to put a lot into your lyrics. There's oh like, my it, God. It, it is it's, rough. It's, I've spent so much, I mean, like a lot of the guys in metal bands, I spend so much time writing shit, trying to convey something just for someone to like put it on and be like, yeah, it's the, you know, your screaming sounds really good. And I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> like, thanks. There's <laughs> not even flipping or they're like, Oh, there's no room to put the lyrics on the cassette. So I'm like, fuck. Oh uh, yeah. Dude. That, yeah. That's the worst, man. When you, when you want to get the lyrics printed in somewhere or, or something. Yeah. yeah and it, it can't have it, it. It's all part of the game. For um, sure. But uh, so so Trevor, now, like I said, um, people are curious. Pink Mass has a well-curated band camp with all of this stuff available on it, um, yeah. as does uh, Scuzz. A Medic is available out there, too. Um, and I'll give you the opportunity to promote and plug anything, uh, promote and plug anything specifically at the end. But quickly now, um, the, the typical heavy hole question can you recommend for us and the listeners um, something older and something newer by any artists you like, metal or otherwise? Yes. Um, I, I was actually anticipating this question. I was like, what if I've been listening to that's new? Because, like, you know how you get where it's like it's so hard to keep up with new music? Yes. It's like, what if I listen to that's new? But I I, I remembered I was, like, going through uh, – because I've been listening to a lot of – we'll get into this later, but I've been listening to, like, like way older stuff lately – um, but, uh, a new band I'll say that I've been listening to and can actually, can I say like a split? It's like three bands on a split. Yeah. So I was going to do the one band, but the the split is just so good that I have to mention it. Um, so I've been listening to a really killer split with three grind bands. It's newer. I think it was like 2019 or 20. I think it came out. Uh, it's the three-way split of this band melting rock from Chicago, which is a killer, uh, like gore grind HM toot out in a good way. Uh, grind band. See guys who are also in this band Mulder from uh, Chicago who are killer death metal. Uh, it's melting rot. This band disease from Seattle, which is like ripping fast grindcore. If you like, like insect warfare and stuff like that, totally up the alley. Um, and the third band is this band hacksaw, from here in Portland, 
and Hacksaw is, uh, I don't think they're doing stuff anymore. Their guitar player recently passed away, mm. but um, their Hacksaw, if you like early Napalm Death, uh, the blur core, noise core, anal cunt stuff, uh, Gorbion necropsy and all that stuff, Hacksaw is like embodies that perfectly. It's like killer noise core where noise core could usually just be like, oh, this band sounds like shit and the recording's really bad. Hacksaw, it's like killer fucking noise core shit. Great three-way split. Um, the dude from Hacksaw, the singer, is this guy, Dylan, who runs Head Split Records here in Portland. He's in a bunch of bands. But uh, I believe they still have that available online on the Head Split Records website. So people should definitely check that out. Super fucking killer grind uh, split. Crazy stuff. For my older band recommendation, um, I didn't grow up with metal, so I missed a lot of uh, level entry bands, I guess you could say, or uh, cool deep cuts that, you know, whatever. So a band, an uh, old band that I've been really into recently uh, is uh, Hobbs Angel of Death. Yes. And yeah, really cool shit. Go ahead. Go ahead. So good. I, it's the, I believe it's the self-title, just like the Hobbs Angel of Death. Um, Goddamn, that shit is so good. Uh, I've heard of it before. And I was like, oh, that sounds cool. It might sound like something I like, whatever. And somewhat recently, I took the time to sit down and listen to it. And I was just like, man, this this kills. This is so good. It's simple. It's like, it's yes, it does sound very like Slayer, obviously, like Angel of Death, whatever. But it has like this edge to it that that band, that Slayer doesn't have, that it just feels so like more like legitimately like evil and satan like it's like a very black metal vibe yes, Maybe like very yeah like venom or something it's like very legit and uh it's so good i just been listening to that album so much um it's not it's it's so straightforward and fun you know it's just it's so good so that's my old pick or my new pick and my old pick are those two bands good one man that's all yeah hobbs angel of death very cool underrated shit man i kind of got into that just by surfing the hell's headbangers uh website um one day mm-hmm. Uh, cool shit, man. All right, and um, uh, rest in peace to the guitarist, the Hacksaw. Sorry to hear that, but we will try to check out that band. Um, thank you. Yeah, man. Trevor Payson from uh, Scuzz, Pink Mass, and Medic, we thank you so much for your time. Um, any, you. Anything that you want to promote? Like, as I said, people can check out the brand-new single, Sulfuric Blessings, off the upcoming Pink Mass um, EP, Nympho Commando. Uh, is there anything else that you want to promote that's coming up? Yes. So this is, a, I guess this is a, a, a heavy hole exclusive because I haven't said anything about this publicly Uh-oh. yet, but uh, I can't speak on it too much, but I do have a new band um, right now that we've been working uh, on a demo. And it's, uh, so a good friend of mine uh, moved here from Colorado. Uh, my buddy, Zach, he recorded the Pink Mass vocals out here in Portland uh me and zach we we hung out and uh a bunch after he moved here and we were just like hey let's work on a band together so i'm doing this band and zach you definitely know because zach uh plays in necrofilth and used to be a nun slaughter and i think uh artificial brain opened on that ghoul tour they did so it's that dude he recorded um he recorded the pink mass vocals and me and him just started working on a band together so we're currently going to be putting out a demo 
somewhat soon. We're basically just still in the writing process and getting the songs together. But that is a thing that's coming down the pipeline. I'm very excited about it. Um, it's definitely more. It's a little bit different than the stuff I normally do. I would say it sounds very similar to like Repulsion and more like late 80s or, or mid to late uh, 80s, early extreme metal kind of stuff. Huh. Uh, it sounds pretty good so far what we've written. I'm really stoked to fully announce. I don't want to say the name or anything yet, but that's a project I'm working on right now. All right. Sounds good, man. Very interested in that. Um, please keep us updated. We'll have our uh, our eyes and ears pe- peeled for that. Uh, so, Trevor, um, ag- again, man, to be respectful of your time, we appreciate everything that you shared with us. As I said, I learned a lot. Any parting words for listeners of your music and listeners of our show? Um, Just, you know, uh, if you want to listen to all my uh, old music stuff, you, it's pretty easy to find. Uh, you can just find it through my Facebook or whatever. Um, if people want to keep up with pink mass or uh any of my musical uh endeavors uh they could follow the pink mass official i'll link it to you you can put it in the description or whatever uh pink mass official on instagram and if you want anything pink mass and all my other music stuff uh tyrant perverser on instagram is where you could find all that information i have all my music stuff there um our full album should be coming out june 10th so, uh, you know, people uh, keep their uh, ears open for that one. Uh, I'm really, I'm really excited for people to hear this full album, man. We, it's like my favorite stuff we've ever done. It's, I love it. So I'm really excited for people to hear it when it comes out. But June 10th, that comes out. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Awesome. June 10th, we'll be watching for that, man. Very excited uh, by this single, and I, I, I urge everybody to check out that new single, Sulfuric Blessings, man. Very cool stuff. Uh, Trevor, have a great night, man. Good talking to you, brother. Good talking to you, man. very much to Trevor Payson, a.k.a. Tyrant Perverser of Pink Mass and all of his bands. And by now, it's no secret that you probably saw them perform at Maryland Death Fest if you were down there in time to catch them. A lot of weird last-minute um, Maryland Death, Death Fest editions out there, including Bowel Erosion. Shout out to those guys, too. Uh, but uh, this is Big Will Heavy Hole Podcast, joined by my co-host Dave Gladding. How you doing, Dave? I'm doing great. That was a great interview, man. Uh, yeah, um, appreciate uh, Trevor's time, man, and um, definitely like some interesting points he made. I hope people look a little deeper behind the surface on Pink Mass if they can stand the smell. Um, but regardless, uh, Dave is here, and we're gonna actually get into some recommendations. We got some some old school kind of cult stuff. We got some weird, different stuff that we're gonna talk about um, behind the scenes. But I just want to shout out. Tom and Justin working hard behind the scenes on Heavy Hole Podcast, as always. Uh, You may have noticed lately that they're not on every episode, and Justin's working hard. These are guys that are both in different stages of um, uh, starting young families and working hard and, and, uh, uh, you know, establishing themselves in their careers. So we shout them out uh, working behind the scenes, but you may not hear them as much on the podcast um, going forward. But uh, that's why Dave's here to help me out. And Dave, we have these recommendations. In In the old school spirit of when we first started the podcast, we used to do recommendations 
all the time. So, Dave, I asked you to bring me two bands. What's the first of yours that you want to talk about? Uh, well, I mean, the first band, if we're going old school, is uh, Morpheus Descends, hmm. the Chronicles of the Shadow Ones yes. uh, EP. And uh, this is an album I've had. I was, as, as I was telling you before we started recording, I've had it for the CD for about 20 years. <laughs> At this point, I got yes. it. I remember, no, it's got it. Holy shit. It's like, I got it in 97. So it's, it's like 25 years old now. Holy shit. Um, yeah. yeah. But I remember buying it at the show, the Crawdaddy show. It was Flesh Grind, <laughs> Mortal Decay, Drogada, Reputilation, yep. Disfigured, and whoever else played. But I remember buying it from, I'm pretty sure I bought it from, I think the guy's name was John. He was like the drummer for for Drogada at the time. Hmm. And uh, yeah, like I just like I bought it. I, I remember reading reading about them in like a pit magazine that I'd gotten like you know at some point earlier. And you know, I, re- I remember my friends just walking up and like sort of like checking in to see. It's like, oh, did you get like a good CD or did you get a crappy CD? And they were like, this always more piece of sense. And they like they gave me like kind of the thumbs up. So I was pretty happy walking away from the uh, the table that way. But yeah, like this album is just it's such a good old New York style death metal album EP, whatever you want to call it. But, uh, you know, it's got like these doom parts, these like slow grinds, a lot of like real good dark atmosphere. You know, it. I'm sorry. uh, Go ahead. Oh, no, I'm not to cut you. I was going to say it's perfect in that respect. Um, when you talk about old school death metal and isn't this, um, uh, oh no! It's it's actually dedicated in memoriam to uh, Matt. Um, I'm gonna say was it Matt Seicher from uh, um, or Matt Sicker from Mortician who passed away in '94. But uh, I'm looking through the um, liner notes right now. But the uh, the drummer Sam Inzera, um, uh, he he really shines on this man. The, the rhythm section in general, but this is a band like the the slams and the grooves. It's it's not di- nothing is like very like direct. It's it's all very in the pocket in a way. It's it's very sly and creeping. It's it has such atmosphere, you know, and and it doesn't really sacrifice any of the brutality for atmosphere. It's a great balance of the two. Yeah, I was thinking about that when I was listening to it uh today like it's not um slam in like the traditional sense where it's like this really big like in your face kind of groove. It's like it's just sort of like this like chugging it's like a good like chugging riff they got a good beat behind it and like it's just but it's heavy you know which is good it's uh good riffs unexpected and um now what we were talking about too before we started rolling we were kind of comparing notes and i said i ha- i said i allegedly I I know I have a friend who has a bootleg a Russian bootleg that they got off of eBay of this um because my original is very like kind of cracked up. I just like you said I have a version of this from back in the day that I actually got from Adam um when we were like trading CDs back and forth and that was probably around the same time you got 97 98 maybe I ended up with it somehow over the years and it's in my collection still but it's a little beaten up and scratched um, and so I, I found this bootleg version allegedly, um, and it had a different, when you open it up underneath the CD, the disc tray is a white background 
with a um, black and white image of like a, a demon gargoyle or a Satan gargoyle kind of kind of like print, um, photocopy looking print, and it says Morpheus descends in Old English font, like up the side of the disc tray that you would see when when the um, when the cover closes. So that I th- I thought I and I was telling Dave I was like you know my original version doesn't have that the original version just has like the 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 black um, uh, spine. And the um, the black disc tray, and I opened it up. But Dave's original version from 25 years ago looks like the bootleg. So apparently this bootleg is a bootleg of Dave's version, and there are, like, different versions from the 90s, at least. At least two different versions from the 90s. Well, and that's assuming that mine is the uh, is, is not also bootlegged. So hopefully it's not, but, you know, you, you never know with uh, with these things. I don't think the guys from Drug Hater would have been bootlegging that stuff in like '97. You know what I mean? It's I, I'm, well, I'm pretty sure it's yours is authentic. Yeah, like these guys did not really have the uh, the audience. I think back then that they have now. So yeah, you're right. Probably not. And it, well, it's it's amazing what Discogs does to bands. You know. Yeah. But um, Morpheus. By, by the way, Morpheus descends. This is a oh man, I, I've brought this up before on the podcast for the longtime listeners. Some people might know where I'm going. I had Morpheus Descends booked. I had two members of the band booked and I had to cancel on this is going back years before COVID. This is in the very early days of the podcast. They would have been one of the very first guests on the podcast. And I had to cancel on them because I had a horrible uh dental problem that I had to get sorted out. They had a literally I had to get plucked out of my skull. Um and and disinfected. I had I had a bad tooth problem that was causing me pro- uh, uh, pain, and I had to cancel on these guys. And um, you know, I guess I guess they figured I flaked out, man. So I have an open invitation to Morpheus Descends if anyone knows those guys who's listening. Yeah, hope we can get them back. Um, yeah. yeah, it's always like, like I was looking back uh, at at their various like, like through social media, and it's a shame how many times they've played. Like even just in the last few years, and I haven't gotten to see them i only saw them that one time at a maryland death fest when you and i uh saw them together yeah yeah that was i think that was 2015 if i'm not mistaken yeah i think you're right yeah that, that was that was great we got the photo together yep yeah we took a photo them and everything them. yeah man I, nice guys i remember meeting them and yeah they, they are still i don't know how active they've been since things have reopened up the last year or two but really great band i'd like to look them up again and for any of the listeners who um uh, you know, maybe people who are, who are just kind of like, you know, diving deep on death metal and the whole New York sound to begin with. Um, or even if, you know, if uh, there's a Vomit Fourth is making big waves now. Congratulations to them signing to Century Media, I see. Um, but Vomit Fourth, uh, we had their drummer Nick on a while back. We did a whole episode with their drummer Nick, and he talked a little bit about Morpheus Descends and other bands like that, this kind of Northeastern style of death metal uh, that I love very much, too. So, um, but I, I think any final thoughts on Morpheus Descends before we move on? I think that everyone should listen to them if they haven't. Yeah, absolutely, man. And this EP is a great place to start. It's my personal favorite release of theirs because it just captures a magic, like a, it's a magical atmosphere. I was, I was about to, I'm not going to make comparisons of it to other albums because that kind of like cheapens it, but it's like, um, it's like kind of like a good horror movie in a way. Just to, uh, to, to add a little tower talking about the the various versions i'm looking at discogs and the first pressing is the one with the black tray and the single-sided tray card so i think you have the original nice. first pressing i win and i might have a repress all right well i'm glad that we established that i win 
in this yeah in, yeah, in this um, competition for who's sicker uh, in the in the scene right yeah now. you you get the scene points. <laughs> next in the words of KRS-One because I want to bring my band out um, and I wanted to recommend you this crazy old school obscure band Curse from Stockholm, Sweden um, and you can find their stuff, uh, all their stuff on cursemusic.bandcamp.com um, I, I have some notes and some stuff, I wanted to get your take on it Dave because I sent this to you last night um, I really enjoy this, you know like it, it's it's a good old dirty sounding black metal demo i thought that i actually really the beginning like the first part of the first song reminded me a lot of call of cthulhu uh the metallica in, uh, instrumental track huh i and, i uh, yeah I don't, i'm not familiar with that off the top of my head but you, you should check it out if you don't know it but um yeah like it's you know it, it's very dirty sounding sloppy good riffs you know the the drumming is sloppy but like but good huh. you know like, like it's just it, it's like very thrashy sounding like very you can kind of tell that they sort of came from like a, a different from other genres and were playing they kind of like steered into black metal like in the best possible way like not in a bad way or anything but like you know it's it's a lot of really good riffs in there you know some some stuff was a little clunky obviously like being like a demo band and everything but i i I've like made a note that I really would like to look into their later uh, releases to kind of see where they go with it because I was really like I was really getting into it by the end of the of the demo. Yeah, I I, I well that's that's what I would recommend because um, and unfortunately I sent you the the other link uh, like just before we started recording really like an hour or two ago but the link I sent you yesterday was for an older demo they have this curse music uh, bandcamp.com you can go to. And it's a band that released, um, I think, two demos in, like, 88 and 89. Um, and that's one of the ones I sent you, was the very early stuff. And then there's an unreleased al- album or a compilation, at least, of songs from, like, 93. And then they have some songs that they recorded in 2016. It's complicated. It's it, it, You know, it is what it is. But um, if you listen to them from, like, these early black metal kind of death metal demos there's like these cool synthesizer parts and i'm gonna be up front man because this is actually how i found them out i was looking up nocturnus on the hell's headbangers web store to see if i could procure like any nocturnus merch or you know just to see what they had maybe there's a tape that i didn't realize who knows i don't know what i was thinking man i was i was delusional but i look up nocturnus on the hell's headbangers web store and then you, you float down and you just see bands that are kind of compared to Nocturnus in their description. So I, I checked it out and I was, and what's interesting is it's, if you listen to it from that, you can kind of see where they got that. Cause there's some synthesizer stuff going on and it's a little, um, old thrashy with the demos. But when you listen to, especially that unreleased stuff from 92, 93, it's almost like they went ahead and made their Wolverine blues type of album. Um, it's really out there and bizarre. There's like piano. There's a lot of groove, melodic kind of death rock stuff, which I normally, maybe I'm becoming more open-minded. Maybe I'm softening in my old age. I don't know, but I, I enjoyed it. I, I, this is my notes listening more to the, the later material. Um, 
Uh, eclectic and un unpredictable band releasing old demos and unreleased material on Bandcamp. Bizarre, progressive, but all in the context of groovy melodic death metal. Um, in my personal opinion, like if Disharmonic Orchestra made a Wolverine Blues period album. Um, which I don't believe they did ahead of their time. And I would say for fans of disharmonic orchestra, uh, clotted symmetric sexual organ, and even like, dude, if you listen to this stuff from 92, 93, I would say like, if you're into like thought industry or Devin Townsend, um, it's just really, it just keeps going. And like, if it, I don't know if anyone would like everything on it, but you're gotta you're gonna find something on it that you at least respect, and you're like, wow, they just throw a lot of shit at the wall and kind of force it to work. It's really weird stuff. And then those older black metal demos are available too, so you can trace the evolution of this eccentric band. That sounds more interesting than I was expecting. <laughs> you know, I was I was expecting a little bit more of like it's like oh maybe there's like a maybe they have like, like a like a few songs that sound sort of like like emperor or like dissection or like you know, like whatever kind of melodic uh, tropes they were kind of exploring in the the one demo. And, but yeah, like if they're going like balls out, just fucking bananas crazy and stuff like that, I would be interested to, to, uh, to hear the rest of that stuff because, you know, especially like, like if you're coming from like a black metal direction, like getting all experimental like that, it can really go kind of anywhere. Well, they must have been young, too, because it seems like it all just kind of happened all at once. They had these demos in, like, 88, 89. By 93, they're just, like, doing these progressive death rock, like, synthesizer and piano part weird things. And I guess the band broke up and came back sometime, around maybe 2015, 16. You know, I, I wouldn't know exactly, but that's the next time they kind of resurface. And they record this other album, but but it's it's like a new recording, but it's allegedly of all old songs from the eighties that were that weren't recorded. So it's and it's all bizarre stuff, man. So you got to wonder what these guys were doing back then. You know, I was actually uh, having a thought about the um, all the experimentation and like the 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 various influences and like multi, multi instru instrumental aspect, and I feel like the Nordic uh, countries. At least I, I know that Norway does. I'm assuming that Sweden does also. They're they have very good uh, arts programs, so I'm sure these guys probably had like a big like their 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 diet of music was probably not contained to just you know death metal and black metal and whatever. Yeah. Like I'm sure they were listening to like lots of like classical and jazz and like experimental and synth and like psychedelic stuff and like all kinds of stuff in addition to probably like getting like crazy music lessons, like, you know, throughout the, uh, throughout their, 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 their youth and, and, and whatever. But, uh, you know, cause I remember like Isan from Emperor, I think like he got, he, like he was actually, I think getting paid somehow through the government to like study music while he was in Emperor, like way yeah. back in the nineties. Yeah, that, I I don't know about that specifically, but I you know that's always been a thing that um, I, you know I've heard over the years, and it, it's you know people have uh, you know uh, had their own accounts of, of you know in Scandinavia and all different parts of the world, but a lot of parts of Europe too, where um, uh, the government will give grants to you know even extreme metal musicians, and yeah, at a young age, a lot of those Scandinavian countries, Finland and and Sweden, they're, they're um. 
uh, they're teaching the kids music and they have musical instruments as, you know, uh, more of a, I guess, a respected part of the curriculum as you would math and, and history or whatever else, you know, it's um, and I I think that shows through with like because a lot of these classic bands from the early 90s that everyone worships and, and rightfully so in most cases, um, it's guys that were like 18 or 19 or 20 when they recorded these albums that are still worshipped today. And it's because they were learning music since they were eight or nine years old. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they were supported doing so. So they could like really spread out and like, you know, breathe and think about it and like not just sort of do these like crappy sort of like one man bedroom demos and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, and um, nothing against one man bedroom demos. Hey, just, I, I got I, where I'm recording right now, man. I got my four track insight, man. I, I'm, I'm recording my little project, too. So don't worry about it. But um, uh, yeah, just to close out on Curse from from uh, Sweden, from Stockholm, Sweden, man, really interesting band, uh, and I, you know, I something about this when I was listening to, especially um, I got it's, it's all hard to pronounce stuff, but the uh, Maladecam Dios uh, album, that's the newer one that they recorded with older material, um, I, it struck me as uh, something. Shout to Tom Shad, um and Nick Didkowski, recent guests of the show who are from maybe more the um uh the we're talking about music school and kids learning music over there in Scandinavia these guys are both teachers in their own right uh maybe the more uh, academic uh, realm of music and there's something about this that I think speaks to the connection between like old school black metal and death metal and more academic minded uh music so i i just wanted to shout those guys out they came into into my mind and their bands and their music came to my mind when i was exploring this band curse and if you want to explore curse if you happen to be one of our international listeners in the in the area of dusseldorf germany uh june 30th at the veer linden open air uh you can catch curse according to their bandcamp uh cursemusic.bandcamp.com so uh, that's about that I, I just wanted to talk about them for a minute for the uh, for the week is the new mutilated album determined to rot which i think just came out uh pretty recently i, I yeah don't recall what the uh, actual release date was but i mean they're fucking great band great like young active band agreed Cla- kind of classic sounding i uh, got the chance afterbirth um, performed shared the stage with them uh, mutilatred and undeath um, and uh, deal with God from Rochester uh, oh, that's that's right yeah that was pretty recently right yeah and internal bleeding um I think that was just last month uh, in April um, up in up there in Rochester always a good time in Rochester and um uh I was really impressed I the the, the place you know the, the the club we were at was like undeaths uh, you know, big. They're from Rochester, and you know, internal bleeding. You know, you know, drew people out. So it was like the place was packed out, man. And we were 
playing directly after Mutilatred. So I was actually out on the sidewalk. If you know the bug jar, there's a sidewalk where there's a door that leads directly onto the stage. So I was mm-hmm. like I was like within two or three feet of the drummer, but I was outside on the sidewalk, like standing in the doorway of, of the of the loading area, and I got to listen to their set perfectly. It sounded like I was listening to a live album. So after that long-winded explanation, it sounded fucking great, man. I really enjoyed them. The drummer was very impressive. They had some really cool... Um, uh, traditional, I want to say traditional, streamlined, brutal, head nod, kind of some mortician type of riffs incorporated into your like more um, traditional, like, you know, American cannibal corpse standard death metal. But there's something about them. And I said this in the undeath interview, too. Um, and so maybe this is just big will going senile and be- being fixated on something. But there's something about mutilatred that reminds me of the same kind of um plowing ahead uh like you know wild horse uh you know un- uncontained fury of deranged from Sweden um Dave I don't know if you if I'm sure you're familiar with them I don't know how much you're you're into deranged from Sweden but that constant blasting grinding sound of deranged combined with those kind of cannibal corpse style riffs there's something about mutilatred where they capture that uh atmosphere and attitude in their own way that I really enjoy yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I'm not like I, I've tried over the years to to really get into deranged, and it's, for whatever reason, it's just not clicking with me. But the it is like I, like to go back to what you were saying about like it's like very stripped down and like riff forward. There's no like mel- like there's no like melodic riffs like parts with like guitar solos and stuff like that. I I sort of the band that springs to mind when I'm listening to them is actually like something like Skinless. Mm. like if you go back yeah, to the first yeah. album or two like but not the groove parts but like the sort of the faster parts like it's almost like if you took away all of like the the groove mosh riffs from skinless and just had like the the constant like blasting of like you know another like a faster band it's it's like taking one of those electric cake mixers but sticking it in beef barley stew it's, it, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's just chunky, grindy death metal. Yes. Or here's an obscure reference, Burial from Massachusetts. Um, kind of yeah. sim- similar vibe. Just, yeah, like the evil, brutal death metal. Man. Yeah, and, mu- nothing but good things about that mutilation album. I, I, didn't, I didn't want to, like, insult them too much by saying that they sounded like Northeast death metal, being that they're from, uh, like, the Midwest. But, yeah, like they, they do sort of have that, like, the, the reference that I would go to is more like, I guess like the Northeast death metal sound, where it's like real heavy and chunky, you know, like a la skinless or uh, burial or like scattered remnants, but not with none of like the mel- melodic aspects, I guess, of any of those bands or the, the, the moshiness. I, yeah, I agree. And I would add to that. Um, you say, no, you say none of the melodic aspects and none of the moshiness. I could definitely see that, but I would say they have a lot of catchiness too. It, it's, you know, you keep listening oh, yeah. to it. I could listen to the whole thing. You know, it's it's a um, it's a good album. It's a and that's again not not to keep comparing them, but um, something I really enjoy about Deranged is it's like they never really press the brakes too much, um, but they always keep it interesting and it's rewarding once you listen to it once or twice. I would say the same thing about Mutilatred because it's kind of punishing, but once you listen to it once or twice and you kind of understand uh, how they write their songs and how they how they go about things and you you know what to expect. It's really rewarding. It's it's good death metal.
Yeah, uh, Mutal Hatred, great band. I can attest to that. I uh, haven't seen them live. Nice guys. I uh, met them briefly up there. And um, hope to watch them again, man. Watch out for those guys. They're, they're, they're busy. They're out there playing live uh, to a town near you probably soon. So the next one, the one I wanted to bring up was uh, Broken Flesh. This is one I've brought up on the podcast uh, before. Full disclaimer, um, full disclaimer on our, on our Christian episode. This is a Christian band. It's one of Big Will's favorite novelty Christian bands. Uh, no offense to anybody, but I and I put in, in little parentheses um, in my notes: abominable putridity, but about the Bible. Um, so, right off the bat, I have notes, and I have kind of like a little personal read, you know, like my little personal notes about why I want to recommend this band and and um, their music. But Dave, I want to get your take on this. Uh, I thought this shit was brutal. I was I, I was listening to it on YouTube, the link that you sent me, and I. I'm not even sure. Like at first, I was like, I was kind of turned off by it because it was. It seemed like it was very much like the sort of riff salad, uh, kind of like super busy technical kind of uh, brutal death metal stuff. But like after I listened to it for a while, I could kind of hear the good parts, I guess, or the, I, 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 or I could see like rather where they were going with it, and I really started to enjoy it. But uh, I was, and I, I was, I guess. Not that I was surprised, but I was like, I didn't, I never really think about like something like brutal death metal being Christian. So I was a little bit like, I was like, oh, that's, you know, good, good for them. But uh, I was, the the first thing that grabbed me obviously was the vocals. And I was yeah thinking the whole time I was thinking like the guy, that guy, Big Chocolate. Huh, yes. Yeah. What, what was his band's name? For uh, something? Disfiguring the Goddess, former guest of the show. Thank you. Yeah, like, like that was that was the the band that I was thinking of as far as vocally. Like he has these huge, mm. huge, deep vocals with like tons of force behind them. I was just like, this guy sounds fucking great. You know, like interesting bass breaks uh, throughout the album. Is it is it a full band or is it like one or two guys doing it? I didn't get a chance to really look up the. Uh, it is a. Um, it's a full band. Um, okay. Yeah, it's a full band. Because I don't know if it was just the production, but the um, uh, the drums sounded kind of drum machiney mm-hmm, from time to mm-hmm, time. Mm-hmm. But uh, like overall, I was I was actually really into it. I, I definitely would like to go back and, and uh, you know listen to it a few more times. Yeah, I I really enjoyed it, man. Um, and this is it's funny because this is something that I was into when it came out. So we're, not at this point, it's 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 um it's crazy to think back. It's probably about seven or eight years ago. Uh, and then they had a full length shortly after this that I would say is um, on par with this. Uh, and uh, Jacob Mathis is the vocalist on um, the, the, these two albums. I believe he left the group after that. And he, had, believe it or not, he actually did a, a song or two with Prophecy from Texas that people can look up. Who, wow. are, who are also kind of like a, a low key Christian band, I believe. Um, but uh, so he really grabs people's attention with with his work. He's got some sick vocals. He's currently in the band Strangled from Oklahoma, which is way more of a primitive beat down, beat people up type of band. But his vocals are still sick. Um, and uh, so my notes on this um, before I'll really get into like the the music. Uh, again, like I like I always say with the Christian metal, I kind of don't discriminate with Christian. If, if metal is gr- great and good to listen to I, and interesting, I want to cover it on the program, especially if there's some sort of interesting history to it. These guys were a long-running band for almost 20 years, I believe, in the Oklahoma scene. They're from Oklahoma City, which in itself, um, to me, you know, I, I don't know that I would say, you know, Christianity 
um, is an underdog in the world. I don't want to get onto any like you know greater society commentary, but in the de- in the underground death metal scene, um, being Christian metal, kind of in in my eyes, I see them as like underdogs, and in a way, it kind of like is a, a bit of a novelty. I want to check it out for myself and see what the music sounds like and see what the lyrics are about. And Broken Flesh to me. Especially at the time, um, I was a little bit more into that kind of like tech, like you said, very pro- produced, polished tech death, um, slam grind, slam grind, technical sound, uh, a lot of unique leader bands, uh, you know, um, shout out to my friends in Cognitive. Um, you know, I, that was really hitting for me uh, when this when I when I discovered this about, you know, maybe six or seven years ago or so. And I and John Zig did the cover art and the logo who was like, you know, kind of known for the deeds of flesh and the. Um, the sick death metal, and I just thought these guys were like on par. I almost saw them as the way people look at Mortification as like a band that qualifies for that like 1992, 93 generation of death metal as the Christian band. These guys kind of kind of qualify for me as like that. Uh, like I said, the abominable putridity, but about the Bible, and just um, the, uh, what was the. Um Uh, In our Christian episode, I talked about the Australian gore grind band that referenced brutal biblical stories. Um, Off the top of my head, I can't think of it right now, but uh, Broken Flesh, their their lyrics represent pretty um, brutal biblical stories, which is just kind of interesting to um, to me, regardless of where you stand in your own personal spirituality uh, as as literature or or whatever. Um, So here's so getting past that, my notes on the music, um, you know, kind of building on on why I enjoyed it so much. Crushing, competitive, brutal blast slam for fans of cognitive internal suffering. Um, and Pyrexia, but with the additional underdog novelty quality of being a Christian band from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Shout to Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. I've been through there. Uh, a band I used to be in performed there once, and we had a wonderful time, and I really enjoyed myself in Oklahoma City. Um, that was actually November 17th. Um, 2007, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm 2017, if I'm not mistaken, um, but um, not necessarily a place where it's easy to make a death metal band happen and to 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 launch a death metal band out of. Um, I know the, these guys probably worked very hard over the years to keep it going. Um, so with that being said, the bassist and backing vocalist on this was Joshua Mathis, brother of vocalist Jacob Mathis, both of which I believe are now active in the band Strangled from Oklahoma. Um, at times, shades of deicide and broken hope, but obviously through this more streamlined deathcore composition, I'm not going to deny that there's some kind of deathcore there. But um, someone who does deny deathcore composition is one of the founding OG members because the two guys keeping this band together are like old school death metal heads. Uh, and I actually caught this while I was looking up that link I sent you in the. Um, uh, comment section, because I do go there for research at times, full disclosure. Kevin Tubby of the band uh, said, by the way, we are not deathcore, brutal death metal. I get my influences from the 80s and 90s mainly, not a fan of deathcore myself, and as far as dual or gang vocals, you can thank Deicide for that. That's 90 to 91, way before deathcore. So I don't want to wade into the comment section, but that's from one of the founding band members himself. So through that lens... I think you can almost look at this band as maybe some like the same way that Pyrexia now is a very competitive um, deathcore slam type of band that's that writes their music for the live setting. Uh, I think you could say the same about Broken Flesh uh, when they were doing these two albums, you know. So that, that's 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 my thoughts and my kind of long winded explanation to why this is an interesting band, whether you enjoy them or not. Dave, any final thoughts? 
I, I did sort of get some deathcore vibes uh, when I was listening to them, but not like it, I'm not a fan of deathcore, so like it wasn't enough to, to turn me off. Mm-hmm. But also, I mean, you know, like very minor deathcore vibes. But uh, overall, I, th- I thought it was a great album, and I'm kind of bummed that I, I passed these guys over or like didn't check them out earlier because it's really fucking good music. Well, what's interesting is um, they were, you know, they were out there in the death metal scene, and I've seen their their name brought up in like you know Facebook groups or wherever you know where death metal is is, is spoken about or where I do research and stuff. But the a lot of this is something else. It's just kind of fascinating to me. The same way I'm interested in a lot of, I guess what you'd say more um, cultural things in in the metal scene. The, these Christian bands could be as brutal as broken flesh. But if you follow them on social media, because their common bond is their religion, they play sometimes with like um, gospel bands and country bands or, you know, I don't know, like like lots of, you know, Christian rock bands, like it's, you know, like Christian hardcore and pop punk type bands. It's very um, interesting to me. We interviewed uh, Dan Valentino and he was in a band of love for enemies and he talked a little bit about his experience um behind the scenes in the in the we'll say the christian music industry so um it's just just something that's kind of fascinating to me that is really interesting i i do vaguely remember that interview but it is it's very interesting that these bands would they would rather uh play with other bands that have the same kind of lyrical subject matter or like uh belief system than them than bands that actually share like that they share like musical commonalities with where they could actually like grow their, you know, fan base, but playing like you know like a Chicago Death Fest or <laughs> something like that. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's kind of like the. I mean, it's what the black metal bands do. A lot of black metal bands, if they're really satanic or really occult, they kind of they they don't necessarily care if they sound like the bands they tour with or play shows with. They want to get that vibe. So, I don't know. It's just fascinating to me because it's another. Um, branch off the tree of extreme metal and it's something I like to explore just like anything else so that being said that's Broken Flesh from Oklahoma City Oklahoma I don't know that the band is active anymore Um, but you can always look them up And shout out to them. They're they're invited on the show. I'd love to talk to them and get their um, opinions on things, or, or if the uh, the Mathis brothers want to talk about Strangled. But um, regardless, Dave, I thank you for your recommendations. Um, I thought that was great. Morpheus descends and Mutilatred. Um Good shit. And thank you for yours. Uh, yeah, of, of course, man. And thank you to the listeners. Um, and of course, thank you to uh, Trevor from um, Pink Mass and uh, uh, Scuzz for um, his all of his insight into his bands and everything like that. We encourage you to check out all the releases we talked about today. And one more thing, Dave. It's a little bit of a sad note, but since I got you on the horn, when I, when I first brought you on the podcast a few months ago, we did a whole episode where you and I talked the history of like Long Island death metal in our generation. We talked a lot of repudiation. 
And on a sad note, but something that I thought was deserving of mentioning, I just want to say rest in peace. The day we're recording this is the 26th of May. Uh, May 23rd, 2022, George Marshall passed away, uh, a, a longtime Long Island music producer who actually recorded, mixed, and mastered the 2007 Universal Goat Tilt, the first album Buckshot Facelift ever put out. We spoke about that on our episode with John Berg. John Berg put that out on his old label. Um, but um, he also worked a lot with D. Snyder and Twisted Sister. He recorded, if anyone remembers Sanction, the old school Long Island band, um, he recorded their demo and engineered it. Uh, and here's why I want to bring this up, Dave. I didn't realize this until I looked, uh, um, uh, rest in peace, George Marshall up on Metal Archives. He produced and mixed Reputilation. Bullshit. Yeah. Uh, Small World. It's right here on Metal Archives. Purging of Impurity, 96, producing and mixing. Disfigured Reputilation, sit, uh, a split. Producer, tracks, um, B1, B2, engineering. Um, and, um, uh, you know, then he's credited obviously with the comp and here's another Dave. I mean, I can't make this up, but shout out to metal archives. I would have never known this. There's some sort of Russian bootleg out there. CD of hate eternal. Um, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's hate eternals king of all Kings album and reputilations. Um, I guess all their, all, all their songs from the split and the demo. So there's a Russian bootleg out there of that. If anyone wants to get a cassette. So I don't even know if you could find that on Discogs. It's a cool mix, I guess. It's it's weird, but okay. Um, weird flex, but all right. But um, so I just wanted to shout out George Marshall. Um, I wish I another person. I wish I got a time to have the um had the time to have the conversation with on the podcast. That would have been great. Here and his uh, remembrances on Reputilation. Never realized that he worked with them the whole time that I was recording um the first Buckshot Facelift album with him, and that's why the first Buckshot Facelift album sounds better than anything Buckshot Facelift has ever done or will ever do because George Marshall's Golden Hands mix mastered and um uh uh. uh produced it so um rest in peace to him and uh, rest in peace to everybody else we lost man but shout out to all you guys out there for listening uh we got extra bonus content on the uh on the patreon we got heavyholepodcast.com heavyholepodcast at gmail.com if you want to reach out the voicemail number should be in the description of wherever you want to listen to this and on the website so please call us up and leave a voicemail in regards to anything we talked about or didn't talk about um and beyond that man uh that's it dave thank you very much for joining me and giving your input tonight Glad to be here. Thanks for uh, for having me on. Of course, man. There's always room for um, more people, even if it's only one. Mm-hmm.